I'm mostly just done listening to Ed. <laughs> Damn. Relatable. Relatable. <laughs> By the way, if that doesn't make the cold open. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, this is the Atonicast. I am Damon Laverance of, well, Damon Laverance. And I'm Kirsten Gorosek, a senior transportation reporter with TechCrunch. And I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I'm the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors, uh, which is currently being translated into German. So if that's your native language, uh, look for that later this year. Um, we are here. We have, we have actually quite a bit to discuss today, um, but but sort of the one of the the buckets that that a couple of these stories fits into is sort of something that that keeps kind of trying to bubble through in the in the media ecosystem right now which is sort of like people are trying to get this story out there that like AVs are going to autonomous vehicles are going to save us from covid-19 and specifically right now obviously delivery is way up um everything delivery related is 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 one of the few bright spots in the economy right now um, obviously, delivery is is one of the promising applications for autonomous drive technology, and and so there's sort of this question of, you know, are are AVs going to be a meaningful play a meaningful role in in this pandemic? And um, you know, one of the the sort of main examples that's kind of been put out there is um, the story about Navia, which is a, a low speed shuttle autonomous shuttle company, um, and how they're doing sort of delivering tests for. Uh, the Mayo Clinic, and it's it's one of those stories. And I'm I'm curious. I want to hear uh, uh, Kirsten and and Damon, your guys' take on this because to me it seems like people are trying really hard to be like, "Hey, AVs are like so so relevant to to this pandemic right now." And and you know, obviously the background for this is that you know AVs have had a rough year or so perception wise. Um, and and this is like an opportunity to get some some more like. This technology is going to save the world, and and I'm very like open to that idea, but I feel like it's we're trying to force it a little too hard right now, and that and and like so like in this in the case of this Navia thing, which I I don't know a ton about this situation, I haven't gone real deep into it, but the thing that people have pointed out is like, yeah, the so the tests are in these autonomous shuttles, but these autonomous shuttles are also being followed by human driven vehicle safety vehicles. Right, they have to actually have a chase vehicle. Yeah, yeah. Are you suggesting Ed that? that these aren't real and that it's just an effort to get positive news coverage. I, I know it's terribly cynical of me. <laughs> um, well, and so in, and in, in the Navia case too, and I know I've been hard on Navia in the past and, and I don't mean to, I, you know, they're, they're trying to do something, but like the, the thing about Navia shuttles is that they're designed and, 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 and one of the reasons that a company, this, you know, the, the, the company Navia exists is because they decided that, one of the early applications for for autonomous vehicles, rightly, I would argue, you know, are these low speed sort of campus type applications where they do sort of little fixed routes, and 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 like that's that's smart and that's pragmatic and maybe they've grown their business a little too much and they've had they've certainly had some financial problems as a company, but 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 that focus is is admirable. The thing is, is that when you look at this story, it's a totally different application. They're taking this shuttle that was designed for this low speed fixed route thing. And they're having it out on on, well, on public roads doing deliveries, and 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 to me, that's the bigger red flag, even than the fact that there's a, a, a human driven chase car. You have the, so the red flag for you is that they've shifted their focus. I'm not following. 
No, it's that they're it's that they're getting you know that that they're they're pushing this PR story um, about yeah, yeah. a vehicle that's been designed for a spe- specific application all of a sudden being used in a an application that it wasn't at all designed for. Right, and that makes it seem cynical to me. It makes me feel like they're the ones being cynical, not me. Yeah. So here's where I fall. In general, I like to look at these things in two separate sort of like put them in two separate silos. On the one hand. Should companies in this time be experimenting with ways where it could possibly be used? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Is it maybe a skosh inappropriate to then try and take advantage of that as a way to, you know, sell their story as a positive one, even though it is being followed by another vehicle and, you know, that's the separate one. That's the separate silo where I kind of see more of a PR move here than an actual technical, you know, had they not done that and they just were doing this on their own, I wouldn't have a problem with it. And I don't really have a problem with it, but I get pitches like this all the time. I've gotten so many COVID-19 pandemic pitches that I go into it automatically with like just turned off right? and more yeah. curious and more, you know, I'm going to ask a lot more questions about it because it just seems like there's an agenda there. Um, but separately, I think it's interesting for companies to, obviously they're not going to be carrying passengers right now to look at other use cases and see if there's anything worth pursuing in the future. I don't think it's going to be a savior, right? but I think that I think companies need to try to, experiment and figure out what the here's a perfect example or perfect opportunity mm-hmm. to test and see if this would even work. Damon, you've been on both sides of, of unlike Kirsten and I, you've been both sides of this equation, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, you've worked, both, you've both, no, it. both, both you pack and flack. Story, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you have pitched me this story. No. Yeah, how would well, you have no. the PR? Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, I, literally, this was something that we talked about uh, at, at the company I was at before this, which was like, you know, our technologies was actually being used in some applications that were like, you know, there were companies we were working with that were then applying essentially small robots to like hospitals and that kind of thing, particularly in China when, when, when the outbreak uh, was first starting to be reported. Um, But no, I mean, would I send that pitch if it was something really actually worthwhile? Absolutely. But also you have to understand, like, it's not just, you know, whether or not the PR person thinks it's worthwhile. That's what the CEO wants and, and, and what have you. So it isn't always up to the uh, to the uh, to the flack to actually um, uh, make the call themselves, unfortunately. Uh, you know, I, I think this actually gets back to a larger issue, which I mean, we've been talking about since the beginning, which is the fact that, you know, it's just been this constant over-promising and under-delivering in this industry for the last five years. And, you know, any, any time there is an example out there where this technology can be applied, everybody's champing at the bit to figure out how to, how to make their mark in that space and, and how to kind of seize the moment. And yeah, I think when people are dying, maybe it's not the most, um, shall we say, uh, uh, caring or empathetic thing to do. Um, but at the same time, this follows along the same exact PR route that we've been seeing, like I said, for the last several years, which is um, anytime there's an opportunity for them to essentially show how this technology could be applied in a magical setting, they take that opportunity. But in the case of all these other 
uh, all these other options, right? You're still dealing with either teleoperation or a chase car or whatever. So, yeah, I think you put your finger on the heart of the PR problem that the entire autonomous vehicle space has, which is that their opening bid was we're going to transform everything right. and save the world. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, <laughs> where do you go from there? But deliver on that, right? right. And and that's, that's also, I mean, if you just think about a story, which is essentially, you know, and, and I ha- everyone hates the PR people who call themselves storytellers. Um, but like in reality, that is what PR is, is you are telling a story yeah. and you don't have a narrative arc when you open with, you know, we're going to solve every problem and, and, and rescue the world from it. Like it just, there's nowhere to go from there. And, and so instead of backing off and resetting and trying to like, okay, like rethink the entire approach, you're right. It's, it's companies are seeing these, you know, I love that term that like idealized landscape or whatever that we can then, you know, Oh, all of a sudden, like the, the narrative is going to make sense again. And it's like, no, forget the narrative, like start over, like, Bring, break it all down, like start over because it really isn't working. And I think that's what people aren't getting in the AV space or, or, or hopefully starting to get it is that like, you know, yes, there are, there's ignorance problems. Yes. There are people who don't like AVs for a whole bunch of different reasons, but like a lot of the, the PR problems in the space are self-inflicted and this instinct to like latch onto this pandemic it highlights the fact that at least some companies don't get it that they like stop, stop, like stop over promising. But it's a cold war then. Right. And that, and I think that's the issue right now is, you know, if you're working at any company and somebody starts making noise in here, you're going to hear from your CEO, you're going to hear from your CMO saying, Hey, why aren't we on this story? Why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we doing that? And, and, and that's the problem is it's, you know, it's a, it's a, rising tide, like <laughs> showing, showing all the holes in the boats, right? Like it, it, uh, you know, it's, it, it's at the point where unless everybody kind of agrees that we need to like dial this back, it's just never going to happen because everybody's tried to clamp on to whatever buzz they can generate at any given time. Well, and here's the thing. I think that there's, here's the risk. And I, I just went to the Navia, um, Twitter, um, just to see how they're promoting it. And I went back to the original pitch that I received and, you know, it's the Mayo clinic is using autonomous buses to transport COVID-19 tests. And um, if you really have to read it carefully or know enough about um, this technology to ask the right questions, like, is this being teleoperated? Is there, uh, a remote human driver, or is it being followed by human drivers? Like there's all these questions that, you know, unless you're covering this a lot deeply, you just don't know to ask. No, most people, most journalists wouldn't think that they, well, what's the fail safe, right? Yeah. I mean, in the pitch, the routes are blocked off from pedestrians, traffic and staff to maintain safe operation. That's yeah. in the pitch. So, so the thing is, on funny, the- funny how it that doesn't translate from the pitch to these stories, huh? Yeah. Um, <laughs> here's here's what I think the risk is, and and I don't want to pick on these guys because on the one hand, hey, this is a cool experiment that's you know not being done on a private street. Well, kind of it is because it's blocked off from everything. But you know, here's but the intentions this, are good, right? The, well, I don't know what the intentions are, but it's interesting, at least test case, to see 
would this operate? This is a real thing. A pan- this pandemic is real. These, the, the need for test kits is real. So would this work? Would this work in the future? And that's how research and science works. Like you do field tests. Yeah. The issue though is, is that I think that the more of these stories that get pitched and potentially covered, and then then the reporter that peels it back and goes, actually, this isn't what it seems. It's going to feel like for most people that they're just going to a magic show. Yeah. That it's not really real. It's all illusion. And it can't be trusted. And I think that's the risk, not from this one story, but from the multitudes of stories that have continued to be pitched to me and other journalists and get picked up by them. Every single time there is a one of these pilots. Right. And, and I think you, yeah, I think you, you've put your finger on the other part of this that, that I think people are, are not, maybe not realizing, which is that, as you say, experimenting and particularly in circumstances like this is a really, really good thing. It's a matter of how you frame it though. And I think that like, you know, to go back to the question that we asked sort of at the start of this show, like, well, will autonomous vehicles save us from COVID-19? The answer is pretty clearly no, they're not ready yet, but but and 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 right and so like because there's this you know this thing where it's like there's the illusion and there's the tearing down the illusion and then you, you know you sort of pick sides based on that get away from that and just say listen like this is not about about saving us from this pandemic but this pandemic is showing um that there are you know valuable applications for this technology Let's use this opportunity to develop it, to think about the specific product things that we've discussed on the show a bit, and hopefully we'll continue to discuss more about like what are the design elements you need in whether it's a delivery bot or a shared vehicle that allow it to work well in, in, a, in a pandemic. This is a perfect time to be thinking about that kind of stuff and, and developing this technology and, and, and validating it, not so that it will save us from COVID-19, but it will save us from future or help us out. So it'll be a tool that we can actually use in a meaningful way for future pandemics. And I think this is part of, of the recalibration of PR that needs to happen in this space, which is that let's get away from like, these things are going to solve problems in the here and now and, and get towards like, this is a really hard thing. This is like, you know, putting a man on the moon. When we do it, it's going to be huge and there's going to be a lot of, of positive impacts from it. But but really right now we are at the stage where all we can do is experiment and learn and develop so that when the tools are ready down the road, future pandemics or or other, right, other kinds of disasters, all kinds of, of things, um, this technology will be ready then, uh, scalable much more than it is now, um, and 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 useful. And so you know, when you look at you, you, Kirsten, you wrote a story about Starship continuing to expand with delivery bots. Um, Neuro uh, just got its license to operate. Um, so like, like the development is happening and this is a great opportunity to develop and learn, but it has to be seen in that perspective, right? Right. But I view the Mayo Clinic, Beep, Navia partnership a little differently than the uh, the other two, which we should talk about. But just to wrap this one up, I would suggest that PR folks right now who find themselves in this position of having to potentially try to sell this type of story, go look at how the PR or comms people from research labs handle things. Hmm. Because what they talk about is these are the this is the research we're doing, just like you said, Ed, for the future, as opposed to 
Um, this is what we're doing. We're, we're doing this thing. We, we've got this autonomous uh, route and we're delivering test kits. I mean, by the way, that could have totally backfired on them because any health professional would go, why are you fucking around with this right now? Get these test kits as fast as you can. Why are you screwing with this? Mm-hmm. Like it could have backfired on them instead of sounding really cool. Someone could go, this is not the time to be messing around. Well, it did backfire on them in the sense that that people then had to edit their stories or write follow up saying, you know, oh, there were humans driving the car and and the has anyone actually done that? Stuff. Yeah, the Verge wow. um, did some major edits to their story, or, oh, or okay. well, they they kind of actually wrote the story around the, those issues. It was oh, almost okay. like debunking from the from the get go. Yeah, um, no, that's well, that's good. I mean, I'm glad that they did that. Um, but but in the difference between those two stories and and the one that you point out is a, it's a good distinction with. Mm-hmm. The Starship and the Neuro ones; these are just companies that are continuing to 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 work their um, their plan, right? This is not; these are not uh, my reading of, anyway of the Starship and the and the Neuro stories. These aren't stunts; these are regulatory approval that have been in the works for a while. These are expansion to new markets that have been in the works for a while. Mm-hmm. And I think that's I think that's the thing. It's like business as usual is a harder story for PR people to sell, but that's the, that's the story right now. It's that AVs are continuing to develop and that in the future, they'll be ready for when, when we release. Well, and you know, the pitch I wanted to hear or would have heard or would have been interested to, if I had like, let's just to say come across and not been pitched like that they were doing this thing. And I get like, you want to tell people what you're doing. And if it had been crafted as we're doing this experiment to learn I would have been interested in this story after the end of this pandemic. What did you learn? How would you change (laughs) things? That's the story that I think is interesting. Not we're doing this thing that is highly, you know, rehearsed and staged staged. Thank you. Greetings, Atonicat Nation. Pardon the interruption. We know you're all anxious to hear the rest of the show, but we need a minute of your time. Actually, Kirsten, we need a few minutes. Okay, fine. Well, let's be clear. We don't need your time as much as your information. You might have heard that we have created a survey. Hold up. Let's provide some context here. What started as a fun side project has turned into something much bigger than we ever expected. And so it's time for us to grow up just a little. And to do that, we need to better understand our audience. We created a survey to do just that. The data fields are mostly optional, but the more you provide, the more you help. Importantly, we will never share your personal information with anyone. Filling out this survey is the most effective way to help us make this podcast everything it can be. So please take a few minutes to visit atonicast.com slash survey and help us understand who you are and how we can improve. Thanks. The neuro and starship is a different thing. And, and you know, just to jump over there. Starship was interesting because they just reached out to me and said, we're expanding into Tempe. And I asked a bunch of questions and I specifically was like, asked them questions in and around the whole idea of COVID-19. And what was interesting was um, the comms person or the PR person who was handling it was really, it wasn't that they weren't associating anything with COVID-19, but I got the impression right away, like this, this is just another expansion for us. We're continuing to expand. Um, you know, cause I asked him, well, are you doing this because of COVID-19 or, you know, and it's like, no, it, it's just part of our expansion plan. So for those who aren't familiar, Starship Technologies has been around for a few years. Um, I believe since 2014, they 
have these, uh, they look like little coolers, you know, on wheels. Mm -hmm. And they started deploying a couple of years ago. Um, They have one in the UK that they deployed in like a regular neighborhood. They've tried industrial campuses, but what's really seemed to have caught on is the college campuses. Um, And when they received about 40 million of funding last August, they also announced a plan to do, to expand to 100 campuses over the next 24 months at that time. So by 2021 in August, they want to be in hundred campuses and Tempe, Arizona, while this deployment isn't physically within the campus of ASU, Arizona state university is it's fairly close. And there's a, a lot of mixed development there. It's right next to a residential area. Huh. It's also next to a bunch of different um, takeout areas. Um, and so they're, they're deploying there and they'll slowly expand that that um geofence they're also just expanded to washington dc and they and irvine and they apparently have more to reveal in the coming weeks so that's more continuing to expand and iterate on this idea of autonomous delivery you know the end uh they're not doing anything around you know delivering collection kits or anything like that just food yep and it's something that they plan on doing you know after covid and they were doing before Right. And, and similarly, Neuro has, um, you got the California, they're the second company, is that right? To get a, a driverless yeah, uh, EV permit. Yeah. But they're the first to use it. That's, that is interesting. So, so Waymo's in a very interesting spot. One, they've completely focused all of their commercial, their, their commercial ambitions to Arizona right now. And there's some obvious reasons we can speculate, but regulatory environment is one. Um, and they've, they've got a good relationship with the state there and, and they are, it, that's what they're most of their efforts on. They continue to test in California, of course, they received a driverless permit. Um, but in the state of California, you get a permit to test from the DMV, you get a driverless permit to test from the DMV. But if you want to give rides to passengers, you have to go through the- Actually collect money. Well, you can't collect money. You go through the CPUC, but you and so you can get a permit for that, but you are not yeah. allowed to take money. So Waymo is in a position where they could do those driverless rides, but they would not be able to charge any money for it. Whereas Neuro, once they eventually get this up and running, they can't charge a delivery fee. But they can absolutely have partnerships with retail grocers and make revenue off of that. Interesting. So it's a different thing. Yeah, One yeah. is a delivery bot. The other carries people that you can't charge for. So Waymo has that permit, but they have not used it. They do not currently, based on what the company has told me, had any driverless rides in the state of California. Yeah, and I was I was famously wrong about in our twenty twenty predictions. Uh, well, at least it seems like it. Everyone, everyone at the the Tonicast party at CES told me I was wrong that CPUC would fold on this and let people start charging money. Yeah. Um, but it, but it's interesting that that if you have a delivery service that you can sort of make money, um, just not by charging the customer, but by charging the retailer partner. Yeah, you have a partnership where you know it's under contract, but you just can't have a delivery fee. So yeah. it's not a good long-term huh. solution, but it allows you at least to test. But to, to tie this back to like what we were just discussing about ABPR, like it, I'm, I'm curious to see what people do in California um, because CPUC won't let them charge. Um, it, it, 
it's a, I think it's an obstacle, as I said in my prediction, that you know, like these companies need to understand how to make money, uh, and this prevents them from doing that. But it is an opportunity for for some actual like good PR, I think, because honestly, there are a lot of people, and and we've known this, right? Like like one of the pitches for AVs is that they help serve communities that aren't served well by car based transportation right now. Go to group homes, nursing homes, things like that. Like that's what I want to see people doing in California yeah. because like the voyage. Like, model, if you can't right? make money yeah. like right now, or yeah, I would be working on it right now. I mean, if if you have it right, like Waymo has a driverless permit. Why isn't Waymo, you know, have, doing some small? Uh, obviously, right now there's a lockdown. Well, right? I can it's tell you why no one's doing it because you still need human beings in the background, and right now we can't have human beings participating in much of anything. That's right. why. Right, but I'm saying the plan, the plan. Hopefully, the planning is going on right now um, mm-hmm. for when for when things lift, because there are going to be a lot of people. Um, just I think logistics in general are going to be strained and. You know, as because the economy is like different parts of it are going to come online at different times, and there's going to be people who need help getting out of the house and getting shopping and and things like that. And um, there's an opportunity to do some good there. That's almost like a different whole another conversation that I know we've talked about before. But I'm very interested in the conflict between the idealism of helping elderly people access autonomous vehicles and the reality of as someone who has worked with elderly people in volunteer capacity for years, um, having them get it in and out of vehicles on their own with a cane or with a walker or with a wheelchair is just, mm-hmm. I think it's a fantasy to think that they can do that on their own. And any company who really wants to scale up, what they need to be thinking about is, fine, the vehicle does all of the operations, but then you have a human a concierge or whatever to help. Right, right. Because your liability alone would prevent you from just letting any I it just it just what I've seen every time I have helped um is part of the nonprofit I'm I'm volunteer for is giving elderly people free transportation, free rides to their doctor's appointments or grocery shopping. And right now obviously that's limited because of COVID, but Generally speaking, these are not people who are going to be like sprightly and jumping into like sometimes you physically have to move their legs into a vehicle. Mm-hmm. So this idea that autonomous vehicles are even going to be able to do that, I just think is not based in reality. Yeah, but there's then you have an excuse to have someone in the car. Sure. Right. And by the way, which, which, there's a which lot is probably there's a social a good thing opportunity anyway. there. There is a social opportunity for a lot of these folks because mm-hmm. one of the biggest reasons is so they can socialize and have connection to the outside world. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think we need to be thinking there's absolutely a group of us, maybe people who have a bunch of kids at home or constantly having to talk to people who want to get into an autonomous vehicle, jump in and not talk to anyone. But the people who are most isolated, who actually don't have access to transportation are not those people. Right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So sorry, digression of the day, but no, no, it's a good, it's a really good point. It just goes to me that shows that business models, uh, and experimentation. I support a hundred percent to circle it back. I support experimentation around working with the hospital to deliver important test kits and things like that. Like all that makes sense. But then those companies need to take a breath before they pitch it to journalists and understand that they are going to ask questions of why they're doing it and really, or should be asking those questions and 
be as transparent and as honest as possible. Casting it as an experiment to learn is a much better approach than saying, look at us, look at what we're doing. Because we all, once we, once we peel it back a little bit, we realize it's, we're going to question the validity of it. Well, and, and, and setting up expectations also for that, like, we're only successful if there's no human in the car, at, you know, unless, other than the passenger, that's also setting themselves up for failure precisely because the people, a lot of the people who need this the most, you know, do need that, that human interaction of some kind, if not, if not having the human there to drive. Right. And I really, I think, remember when, um, when May Mobility was getting protest, they were like the first like anti-AV protest in in Ohio, I think, when yeah, they, they showed up there and they were yeah. protested. And they made the point, and I thought it was really good that like, look, you know, bus drivers don't just drive. They do a lot of things. They, they provide security, right? If someone is is misbehaving, they tell them, get get off my bus. Um, they if someone leaves a bag, you know, is it a bomb? Is it, does it need to get to lost and found? Does it, right? There are a lot of things that particularly shared vehicles, you know, you're not going to be able to automate anytime soon, even if you have a perfect self-driving system. And so I think, you know, this, this is one of the the problems of theater, like that, the Navia beep situation where it's like, oh, there's nobody in the vehicle. Well, but there's someone following it in a car. Like, just let someone be in the vehicle. It's okay. Like, like if the vehicle is driving itself, it's fine that if you need to have someone in there, that's not the end of the world. Well, and, you know, in, in, in a post-pandemic world, maybe that person is throwing the UV light around between everything. I mean, if anything, it, it's been a very interesting story to follow over the last few years of how companies and founders have wrestled and, and the comms people that are employed by them wrestle with this idea of human and where the human is involved. And it's almost like, well, it does, it's not legitimate unless there's no human in there at all. Right. But I don't know if that's necessarily what we want or what it will be. And or or just a smart way out. to frame the, the optics and the, and the expectations. Yeah. Yeah. It's my big question. I've always, I've asked Oliver Cameron this many times and, you know, he always has a pretty good answer for me, but um, you know, they right now, their demographic is seniors mm-hmm. and not necessarily folks who oftentimes have no problem getting in and out of a car. But I remember talking to him about this, about how all of his photos, it shows this like wonderful interaction between these seniors and these safety drivers. And I'm like, well, what happens when you take them out? Like, are your are those folks really going to want to keep doing this? And, you know, we'll have to have him back on and see how things have changed. but. I believe at the time he had told me, well, we've thought about that, you know, um, maybe that role changes, but he, I, he, he was, when he was on the show, do you recall if he was also saying that maybe they would be ready for not having human in there? Do you remember what he said? Yeah. So he, as I recall it, he, um, teased the prospect that, that they were actually developing a vehicle from the ground up. And I think that's one of the the key issues here, right? Is if you have people who have any kind of, particularly if you have people with any kind of mobility constraints, uh, personal mobility constraints, um, you have, and, and you're using a converted vehicle. Um, so just like a, a standard vehicle that's just been, you know, the Chrysler Pacifica or whatever. Right. Right. Um, that you, you have to like have a pair of the attendant there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like a lot of them don't have, you know, uh, a wheelchair ramps, frankly, no one as a former caregiver myself, if I could get Silicon Valley to work on a hardware problem, it would be just make a really cheap, lightweight, easy to install wheelchair system for standard vehicles, because 
Um, that and I don't know what the economics of that business look like. You probably could never get venture funding, but that is or um, having had a transit. Do yeah, like, we're prepare transit, which is yeah. one of the worst systems. But Ed, you presented the perfect pivot point right now. Segway. As I always do. To talk about hardware. Yes. Hardware and design matters. I think that that is a big, you know, messaging matters. Hardware and design matters in terms of how you use it. So Neuro having its specially designed delivery bot, um, having a vehicle that can transport folks who um, ha- are use wheelchairs, for example, or um, a, you know, a walker, for example. But in today's world, it also matters for the cars we drive around every day, passenger cars. And there's one company that has an interesting relationship with hardware. And that's Tesla. Yes. Well, full self-driving is coming later. <laughs> Particularly self-driving hardware. Take yeah. it, take it, take off with it. Well, so Damon, you actually brought up this story, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, no, no. I, well, so I think one topic that you guys have broached several times is, you know, what do you do about keeping sensors clean and functional while they're on, while they're on the road? And, you know, we've seen some interesting like LIDAR solutions and that kind of thing. But apparently what the feature complete hardware now includes a radar heater. Is that right? Yeah. So on the Model Y. On the the, Model Y. But only on the Model Y. And yeah. It's only on the Model Y? That makes no sense. uh, well, <laughs> well, no, it makes sense. It makes perfect. No, no, no. This it makes perfect sense because here's 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 the good news, and then I'm going to shut up. The good news is, is that the vehicles tend seem to get better over time. Wow. <laughs> the bad news is is that every single time the latest iteration is presented, it is presented as this is the last thing we that ever needs to be done right to right. meet all of these. Um, future amazing capabilities. And then six months later, we get something new. So it is good to see that clearly the Model Y in many ways, not always, but in many ways is an improvement from previous vehicles. Uh-huh. Okay? I see Ed shaking No, it's a consistent Tesla thing. Yeah. Yeah. But... <laughs> And that's where I'll let you take off on. I mean, look, we've had, we had in 2016, we had hardware 2.0, and that was, you know, everything you need for full self driving. God, was that 2016? October of 2016. I think about six months, certainly within nine months of that, it was like, oh, wait, hardware 2.5, but it's really 2.1, but 2.0, whatever. Um, there was minor updates, and then it was like, oh, the full self driving computer and 3.0. Right. And, and now, and now, Oh, it turns out that like, you know, making sure your sensor modalities are working in all conditions also so, matters. Ed, I have a question for you, Ed and Damon. Is your is your issue with that that the storytelling around it every single time this is presented? Because I would argue that it is normal and natural for automakers to improve upon the hardware of their vehicles with every model refresh. Yes. Correct. What is not, let's, let's, let's identify what the problem like what here is. What is the criticism? The problem is not the improvement. The problem was taking money starting in 2016. That was the problem. It's always been the money. It's one thing to promise that you're going to do something. If you're going to promise to do something, you either do it or you don't and you bear the consequences of it. When you take people's money and you do so while talking about totally unrealistic deadlines that have long since been blown. 
um, for, for actual deployment. When you talk a bunch of nonsense about it, and just again, this last week, it was like, oh, we got to see if regulators approve it. Like, right. you know, when you're doing stuff like that, after taking people's money and saying, this is it, we've done it. Um, that's the, pro- that is the problem. And, and, but, if, but even that, I mean, if you, since this is the, like, let's find a positive spin on this, uh, hour, um, <laughs> like, let's be real about it. I mean, Tesla is the only company that's figured out how to make money on autonomous vehicle technology. And that's by not delivering it. It's by, it's by, it's by playing on people's overhyped expectations, getting them to put money down based on their totally unrealistic expectations. And then, and then basically what this is, is is, is planned obsolescence or unplanned obsolescence. (laughs) I think what your argument here is that Tesla might be the most successful Autonomous vehicle company. Yeah, yeah. they are. They, no, 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 they are. I mean, in turn, right? They're selling a, a, a high margin, right? So if you take out the car business, you say, okay, they have, they have a money. Fundamentally, if you pull out the autonomous part of the, like, like full self-driving out of it, um, basically their cars are, they, they, their car business is not profitable when you take that out. The software, because you're talking about thousands of dollars per car, mm-hmm. uh, automakers would kill for thousands of dollars of additional, basically 100% margin on, on cars. So you pull the car business out. Okay, so they're a money-losing car company that has such a profitable business monetizing people's expectations about autonomous drive technology. You've got to be careful about how you phrase that because that's <laughs> what they're doing. They're not selling autonomous drive technology. They're monetizing the expectations around autonomous drive technology. And if you just look at that part of the business, you have to concede so far it's successful. Now, we need an Alex on here to counter this a little bit. A lot of businesses, <laughs> when the cat's away, right? A lot of businesses can look really successful in the short term. Here, here's my question for you. Really, though, when you look at their profit, when, when you look at their automotive gross margins, which I believe are like around 22%. Inclusive of thousands of dollars of 100% margin software. Inclusive across, but has there ever been an effort to separate that out? Because is what's the percentage of vehicles sold that include full self-driving? We don't know. Right. The estimates that we've seen based on trackers um, that people have done, and, and they are just estimates, but they're pretty decent sampling sizes, um, is something like 50%. Uh, since since okay because now it's it's they come with autopilot and you know, and the only option is full self driving so and they've they've played with the pricing and everything so much um, that it's hard to say but but I would be shocked if it were much below fifty percent. Well, that's why though I do need to push back a bit as to how you really know that it would be a money losing operation on the vehicles without really truly understanding the numbers. I'm not saying you are. It's a good educated guess. But I'm asking you how you really know. How do you know it? <laughs> because those 22% margins are are kind of jokey anyway, right? They 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 don't include um, R and D, for example. Um, but that's and all like that. automotive gross margins. It is a one one uh, measurement. Anyway, uh, so okay, so I have not. I I cannot sit down and show you a spreadsheet where I modeled this all out. But um, their their perform right, like if. By the way, that seems like a really good pandemic type of activity to do. Like you're at home. (laughs) Um, I've been working on my tan actually. So can't can't (laughs) really do that while you're you're spreading. Great. That's it. I'm making the, you know, I'm, I'm unemployed and the weather's good. Like 
you want me in front of a spreadsheet right now? Yeah. I do. <laughs> you can also sit outside. I'm pretty sure like you can get a, you know, a laptop that goes outside or do you just have a desktop? You, do, I have a laptop, but, but if you're in direct, have you, have you used a laptop in direct sun before? That's another thing Silicon Valley needs to get off its ass and, and solve. <laughs> Give me a laptop that works really well. Doesn't overheat, doesn't get sun uh, screen glare, that kind of stuff. All right, Damon, sorry. We've been talking about sun tanning in Oregon, which doesn't exist. And, uh, <laughs> well, and no, actually, this, don't exist. no, this is actually a good, good opportunity because I wanted to, uh, I wanted to pick Ed's brain about uh, an announcement that happened a couple of weeks ago. I don't think you guys had a chance to talk about, which was um, GM working with Honda to build, I think it's two new electric vehicles that they're going to be sharing the platform for. And then there's also some talk about possibly Honda using um, Super Cruise possibly um, in their vehicles. Um, Now, of course, what GM and Honda already had, or um, GM's already invested in, or I'm sorry, uh, Honda's already invested in Cruise, right? Right. So GM and Honda have a very long relationship. They've been doing stuff together since the late 1990s. Yeah, yeah. So this is officially... But never at this scale. No, but... It's yeah. been ramping... The partnership's been ramping up over It has years, been ramping yeah. up. So, you know, they... I would say that it really ramped up in 2017. And interestingly, it's been all around this joint venture called Fuel Cell System Manufacturing, LLC. And that is to produce hydrogen fuel cells. So right. it seemed like a couple of years ago, that was the focus. Now they're both jointly have invested. I mean, GM acquired and has put more money into Cruise. Honda has put money into Cruise, although my understanding, it's really mostly manufacturing credit. Hmm. I mean, please, a listener, please reach out and tell me if I'm wrong, but that's what I've heard. But this is to co-develop uh, two new electric vehicles slated for the 2024 year. And to me, what's interesting is we kind of saw this with the cruise vehicle, which the origin, yeah. which Ed, I want you to jump in on. But basically, each company is going to contribute what I think their expert expertise is. So GM's going to do the new vehicle architecture and there's Ultium batteries, that, that system. And then Honda is going to do the exterior, interior design and materials. And then GM is going to put its OnStar safety and security services and Super Cruise into those vehicles. So it's a real com- oh, combo. Wow. Yeah, yeah. No, I, well, that's the thing. Is that I, I think the, and this is why I want to get Ed's take on it as well, was just the, um, the scale and kind of ambition of it, I think, was really kind of impressive to me. And, you know, as, as I know you guys have talked about, uh, infinitum again, you know, there needs to be more of these partnerships to actually make some of these technologies a reality, um, particularly spreading, spreading around the R and D costs. So, um, yeah, Ed, I mean, w- w- smart move, like, uh, not smart move. W- what's your, what's your take? I mean, yeah, it's, it's an interesting move. I mean, GM and Honda are like as different as car companies get almost, um, so. GM is, well, I mean, GM is huge and Honda is small for one right, thing. Right, right. Um, GM is sort of, you know, scattershot with all these brands and, you know, their problem has been distraction and, and focus and strategy to hold all of their scale and diversity together. Honda is known as just being ultra, ultra focused, in fact, you know, to their detriment. And I think that's where this this relationship actually makes sense 
is that Honda has been so focused on what they do well. People forget and and you know these big these companies are so big and and old really at this point that they they have really deeply ingrained cultures. And like I talk about culture all the time. My book is basically about culture. And I think people really fail to appreciate outside of these companies how important culture is. And in Honda's case, it's in their name. They're a Honda Motor Company. Right. And they've always really been a motor company. And and I mean that's the great thing about Honda. I mean in the 90s you know, that was what, what made Honda's, you know, so popular for mass market. They had, they had really smooth, efficient, well-engineered motors, cars, the motors could be tuned. That's where the whole Honda Civic tuner thing came from, like, but, but that's really at the, yeah. So they're like a, a hardcore internal combustion engineering operation to, to use sort of Elon Musk's <laughs> vocabulary. Um, and, and so as a result, right, like they've been behind on electric vehicles and they've been behind on autonomy and, and all of these sort of future things, um, which, which now actually is starting to look kind of smart. Um, and, and what's fascinating about G about the GM part, the fact that they're partnering with GM, first of all, it, the synergy is great because Honda is a car company, right? They're a motor company and they're a car company. Uh, GM is really a truck company at this point. Um, that you know, you take out those trucks and and they're they're not a company anymore, um. And so these the and and they've decided also for for a variety of reasons that they need to bet big, um, on both autonomy with the cruise thing and then this Ultium thing. And and I think the fact that Honda wants to to partner on Ultium is a really strong endorsement of that system, and mm-hmm. and it makes me even more bullish than I already was on it. But it also fits really, really well for Honda because they haven't had to spend all this money to develop um, these things. They, they're getting to, to sort of not free ride. They're, they're paying their way, but they're riding on this big investment that GM made. Um, and so there's built-in scale to it now, too, because mm-hmm. GM has to, has to put scale on it. And so Honda just gets to add a little incremental scale. Um, it, works out, it, it works out really well. And, and frankly, I think you know, there's, an, there's been an interesting – the last five years, this bull market and and this tech boom that we've been in, it's more longer than five years really, but but um it's it's created this ideology that like, you know, the car company who's the farthest ahead on on new technology is going to win. And I think what this downproof is gonna prove yet again is the eternal truth of the car business, which is like slow and steady wins the race, right? Yeah. Yeah. And 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 it's a defensive game. And so Honda's played defensively. Um, and I think that's smart. And I think that um, everything I've I've heard, and I actually had the chance to talk to one of GM's engineers recently um, about more to, to learn a little bit more about Ultium and the flexibility and stuff. And I have to say, I'm really impressed with that that platform and that strategy. I think Honda being part of it is is a, is a strong endorsement. And so um, this all makes a ton of sense to me. And frankly, I think you know. And look, you see you see Ford and Volkswagen doing something very similar, mm-hmm. right? Um, with both sharing the MEB, sharing the investment in Argo, um, sharing the uh, you know commercial vehicles, um, and so I think we're just you know the auto industry it's 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 a defensive game and it's also a, an eternally consolidating game. And I think what's interesting now, actually, the the kind of the most interesting characteristic of this is that you're seeing it, the industry's gotten so consolidated. There's so few giant players in it that now it's like you have to build these alliances. Right. I don't know how much more we're going to see other Fiat Chrysler and PSA are doing it because mm-hmm. they're kind of on that bubble in terms of scale. Um, so Fiat Chrysler and PSA. What's the status of that one now? I thought that that had run into trouble now. 
Yeah, they're they're they have to raise a bunch of cash, um, I think, to make the deal happen. And um, I look, I, I think it'll happen. Um, so they're, they're I'm going to push it. back on that. Everything makes sense, and this is so great, and this is the future. I'm not saying it's not the future, but I don't think it works quite as well as we always think it's going to um, work. And I think the uh, the Nissan Renault Alliance is a example of that. And mm-hmm. culture, as you have said, matters. I think why it might work with Honda and GM is that this is an outsider's view. I'm certainly not working at either company, but usually partnerships work when one company is okay with not being the first and the best and the biggest. And when one company wants to be the first and the best and the biggest Mm -hmm. GM being that company and Honda being like, that's cool. We're just going to do our own thing. You could never see a Ford and GM working together, obviously. Well, yeah, so, and I there mean, are deep cultural putting issues. Putting aside right. the hundred yeah. years of history, right? But I, I'm saying because of just culturally, this desire to be at the very top. Yeah. So yeah. any companies that are really like that and who compete on the same regional soil. So Volkswagen is obviously huge, but it pairs well with Ford because Ford isn't trying to dominate Europe in the way that you know it had tried in the past. What and also Ford and Ford and Volkswagen have a similar relationship as as GM and and Honda do and and different than Nissan and Renault. Nissan and Renault, I think to your point, they were too similar. There 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 wasn't enough that distinguished them where they can say, okay, this is your responsibility, this is our responsibility. With and GM and Honda, that's easy because it's like Honda cars, GM trucks. GM wants to take the lead on EVs and AVs. They want to be the first in that. Honda's happy to right. And and I think with Ford and Volkswagen, I'm just happy to take the lead on tiny sedan. Yeah, I mean, yeah you know, <laughs> Japanese cool Japanese stuff. Um, yeah, I think I think Ford and VW are a little bit closer to that Nissan Renault problematic area where they're a little too similar, but they're still well enough. And right, and this is, this is the key to every relationship and every partnership. Right, is it's like knowing, okay, like this partner is better at this. This partner is better at this. This is how we're going to divide these things. And we're going to mutually benefit each other. Well, there there you go. (laughs) Symbiotic. example of it. Yeah. Um, Well, I I don't know about you guys, but I'm tapped out. Yeah. I'm done talking about Honda and GM. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm I'm mostly just done listening to Ed. (laughs) Damn. Relatable. (laughs) <laughs> by the way if that doesn't make the cold open <laughs> i'm gonna be real unhappy um well we should we should wrap it up there uh, we've discussed a lot it's been really fun and interesting as it always is here on the atonic cast um and in fact uh we are thinking about and and we're not going to commit to anything right now because it's still a little up in the air but we would love to um get in on this whole sort of video chat happy hour thing and 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 bring some some more folks into our, our fun and interesting conversations uh, over alcoholic beverages or, or non-alcoholic beverages. Yeah, stop pushing alcohol, thing. dude. So, Not everyone drinks. Uh, keep an eye open for that. We would love uh, to hear your thoughts on these and other topics. Um, and hopefully you'll be able to learn more about that on a future episode of the Atomic List. <laughs>